So, Shahid, today I want to talk a little bit about the idea of exclusivity in video gaming. Uh, there are a couple of stories that came my way this week that I thought were super interesting for various ways, and they do kind of um, both tie into exclusivity. So we're going to talk a little bit about Ninja and Mixer, which is a different exclusivity deal altogether, but I just think it's kind of fascinating. And I also want to talk a little about Ooblets and the Epic Games Store. Now, Ooh, hot topic. Yes. Now, see, the thing is, what I want to talk about today is just the idea of exclusivity. But in the time from when I first saw this blog post to now, the Ooblets situation has become a very different situation. So I don't want to talk about it without addressing what's going on uh, with the Ooblets team right now. So there are a lot of people in the gaming community that have reacted absolutely ridiculously to the idea of this company taking their game as an exclusive to the Epic Game Store. Like it's taking it to a level of harassment that is absolutely unacceptable in every single possible sense of the word. Like I don't like to speak too harshly a lot of the time, but I do genuinely think that the people that are being this way should be ashamed of themselves. Like I just think the level at which some people take these things as their own personal injustices and decide that they want to abuse others is just, is kind of, it just feels like inhuman to me. Like I don't think I like to think people would never actually react that way if the internet wasn't in between them. And like, I don't really want to say too much more on it. Cause again, it's like, I felt like we had to address it, but it wasn't really the, what I was hoping to talk about today. Um, there is a wonderful blog post that, uh, has been written by uh, one of the members of the Ublitz team. Um, I think his name's Ben. And it's just kind of like really breaking down what has happened to them uh, over the last week or so from what should have been some good news. So I'll put that in the show notes and you can read that. And, and I genuinely hope that the reasonable uh, people in the gaming community can rally behind this company a little bit um, and support them in a time that they shouldn't have to be going through a situation like this, I don't think. Actually, no, they don't. They shouldn't be going through what they're going through right now. It's it's insanity, honestly. So, so yeah, I don't know if you have anything else that you wanted to add to that at all, Shahid. Well, we use the terms company and team, but it's people. It's just, right. it's just a husband and wife. Yeah, it's human beings. Yeah. And what are they making? Are they making the cure for cancer? They're making a cute little video game about farming. Right. And the thing is, if it was a cure for cancer and they'd said, yeah, we knew we were going to, you know, we were going to release this to absolutely everyone in the world, but now we've just decided to release it in one country only, then you would imagine that there would be some degree of outrage and probably deserved right well yeah i mean because that that would be kind of sellout that would be costing people their lives but is there a shortage of video games on this planet i wonder how many video games are made the exclusivity is pc where it's not like xbox and playstation where if you don't own the hardware you can't get the game 
all you have to do is download the Epic Game Store launcher. It's like right. it's not a exactly exactly like of all the exclusivity deals you could <laughs> it's do the this is the least harmful it's to the people. weakest right it's the weakest just download the epic games store app and just be done with it you know yeah. Yeah. epic games launcher whatever it's called i mean yeah. i have it and uh and and i've used it and and i understand there are some things that you lose by switching from one oh, but it doesn't to another matter. but come on it it's just a doesn't... video game yeah it's you not know? important Right, so let's let's actually now talk about that because we're moving into these these other parts. So, Ublitz is an upcoming game with a wonderful art style. It's it has this kind of Stardew Animal Crossing vibe. It speaks directly to my heart. Like I've seen this game around for a while, and like I've kind of kept it in my peripheral vision. It's a game that I know I'll be spending some time with when it comes out. It's been in development for a while. The developers uh, say so it's a husband and wife team primarily right now. Um, They've been very 2019 about everything and like sharing their development process. They've been looking into like crowdfunding support and stuff like that. Like they're being like, it's like a very modern way to make a video game. And then last week they announced, um, and I think as it should have been triumphantly that they have been uh, working with Epic for PC exclusivity. So when the game launches on PC, that it would be on the Epic game store only they're not the only company to do this. Um, what is that game? The, the Goose, Untitled Goose Game, right? It's another mm. indie game, which is being published by um, Panic, right? Who is a software developer who published Firewatch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They are going to be an, uh, an, an Epic Store time exclusive on PC as well, right? Like Epic are at the moment... I think going after like hot indie games for their exclusives because they can't really get big companies, right? Like they have mm. Fortnite, their own game, and then they're trying to like maybe like build and store base, but like, oh, you know that cool little game you've seen? We're going to get that one and we're going to pick up that. And like over time, pick up more and more uh, games. And so like that's great. Like Journey, right? Isn't Journey? Journey just launched uh, on PC and iOS and it's on Epic. Did right. you see that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, this is like, I think if I was Epic, this is probably the route that I would take because, you you know, it's it's like an interesting route to uh, to market, right? Like, to, to try and get your game out there more, right? So I think it's it's very clever. And, you know, they've, they've been picking well, I have mm-hmm. to say. They've got some good stuff. They've got well. Mike Bithell's John Wick Hex thing, you know? Mm-hmm. There's some nice stuff there. So it's, it's not like they're just buying a whole load of content and just slamming it up there on the store. No. They're thinking about it carefully. They're, they're doing a good job of like curating what seems to be an interesting list of games. Anyway, so uh, the Ublitz team uh, wrote... And wh- one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is they wrote a very honest, I thought very fun and refreshing blog post that explained the reasons behind why they went this route, where like most companies don't talk about why they kind of like just brush it off or they're like, oh, they have, we have a great partner here and we can't wait for the route to market. You know, like they kind of just like business mm-hmm. it up. But they were talking about like, they spoke to Epic and they were like, we want to be really honest with people about what the deal looks like and can we be? And Epic said yes. So they laid it out. Like effectively, it's two big things. They gave them a bunch of money up front and for a development team of this size, what it means is they can actually hire more people with the resources that they need to have a better shot at releasing a polished product that will succeed, right? Where like on their own, they may have only been able to get it so far before they had to release it because they were running out of money. 
Mm. This way, they don't have to do that. So yes, it will probably delay the game a little bit, but it will be worth it that way because the delay is actually making the game to the level that it should be that would make people happy, right? Like you could imagine they probably would have gone with the early access route eventually, right? As like, we have no choice but to make money now. Yeah, the thing is with early access, it's not suitable for all games either. So no. that could have been quite a risk for them to take. Yep, definitely. And just going, going with Epic just means they'll be able to make the best PC game they possibly can. I mean, look, you know, I, I run a dev studio and we've got a prototype at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, completely changing uh, topic. I should send you a test flight because we've got it working on iOS as well. I would like that very much. So I'd love for you to have a look. But it's working on everything, right? Now, if one of the major platforms came to us, a very small independent games developer, and said, look, we'll take all your problems away and you can make the best game that you can. It just means that you won't be able to hit these other platforms. Well, you know what that does? It gives us the freedom, the complete freedom to make the best game that we possibly can. And that means everything to us, because that's what we want. We want to make the best game we possibly can. We don't want to compromise. And without any kind of funding, or perhaps with some constraints imposed by a publisher, let's say, for example, you worked with a publisher instead. Well, if a publisher decides to fund us, you know what happens is that Depending on the publisher, not all publishers are like this, of course, but depending on the publisher, we'd have to make changes. Uh, We'd have to make compromises. We'd have to change the vision of the game. And that would be their right. You know, we would see that in the contract and we'd have to make a call. And let's face it, going with a platform that supports your vision and just says, you know what, we all we want is for you to make the best possible game. You we want some period of exclusivity. And with Epic, it's not even very long, you know? Mm -hmm. So it would be a no-brainer for a small team to do that. And the other great thing about taking that approach is it means that we are very likely to have enough runway, runway meaning the amount of money left over at the end of development, to do other versions. And because we got the deal with a platform, not a publisher, it means that we would make money out of those other devices as well Mm -hmm. that we would have been less likely to make. Which, which is a win for yeah, everyone. And once the exclusivity time is over, you could make a Switch version, you could make a, you know, you could do all of that. Like exactly. They also have an exclusive deal with Xbox, like with Microsoft, which is funny, really, that they have an Xbox version. I don't have exclusive, but I have an Xbox version and an Epic Yeah, version, which is just interesting that they, are, they, they went in those two different routes, but like that's, that's the way that they're going to do it. It's, yeah, because the thing that matters to Epic is device exclusivity. They don't yes. want you to release on pc on any other storefront uh-huh because yeah. there's this of course you have the xbox game pass or windows thing happening now as well you have steam you have potentially the windows store though that's not really much competition right now let's face it and i don't think that's Microsoft's strategy for games in the long run anyway so that that's all they want they want to be the player on pc they don't care about the other devices you know it's, it's exactly the same approach i took at strategic content was okay you want to do this on pc at the same time no problem and you know what tended to happen is even when we had very short exclusivity windows, those exclusivity windows by default became longer because developers only have so much time, you know? Mm-hmm. They can only do so many versions at once and the other versions take time to do. Yeah, so even though the window was set, sometimes you just ended up with extra because yeah. they, could, they weren't ready. So uh, um, the, one of the other things, as well as money up front, is a minimum sales guarantee. So Epic will say 
no matter how many you actually sell, we will pay you for this many copies. So, and then you would earn on top of that for anything over, right? So let's say they were like, we're going to pay you uh, the the re- like the retail price or whatever for 10,000 copies. And then up to that 10,000 copies, you get no more money, right? Like you're going to get that amount of money. That's the money they're going to give you. But if you sell 100,000 copies and you get the profits of 90,000, right? Like you, you have like a guarantee, no matter what happens, Epic going to give you that amount of money. So you get money up front and then once you're done and it's out there, they're going to give you more. So I want to read a quote from the, the, the art from the blog post itself. Um, on sales that would match what we'd be wanting to earn if we were just selling Ooblets across all the stores. So like they were saying that, then they are saying the money that Epic is guaranteeing them is like in line with what they were hoping to make in basically a best case scenario. So how could you turn that down? And they say that takes a huge burden of uncertainty off of us because now we know no matter what, the game won't fail and we won't be forced to move back in with our parents. Now, there are other questions about like audience size that I want to ask you in a little bit, right? Because it's like, yes, you are right in that sense that it, you will not financially fail, but it doesn't mean you're set up right for the future. But I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But, you know, that is just another interesting part of it, right? Where they're just like, we'll pay you up front. And then we're also going to guarantee that we'll give you an amount of money afterwards. Like that is security in your business to know that you've got that revenue coming in. Yeah, it's almost impossible to turn down as a developer. I don't know how you could for like your first game. Yeah. this I don't know how you could turn this down. And like, that's kind of the tone that they're taking in the blog post. And it's like, it just seems logical. Like, how could you say no to this? And like, I like as well that like the post is very tongue in cheek and I, I appreciate it for that. It was very refreshing. And they go on to be like, it is not a big deal to install the Epic launcher. Like Steam is not and should not be the be all and end all. Like, it's not video games. Like, who complains about the Oculus Store? Yeah, good point. <laughs> right? But, like, so there are only games that are available on there. I can get some from Steam, but I can't get all of them. Like, no one's going crazy about the Oculus Store, but it's a store that exists, right? Like, if you have Xbox Game Pass and for Windows, you can't get those games in Steam. There just seems to be this like specific thing where it's like, oh, it's epic, so it sucks, and Steam's the best. When Steam sucks, like that app is like a billion years old. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not my favorite app. And of course, there's EA Origins. Yep, they all have them, and like you know, EA Origins does suck because it is uh, very bad to use like i've used it in the past (laughs) and like let's just assume that epic does a good enough job but like if it's just a launcher of the game it's like times change right in 10 years time we could all be playing all of our games in the epic store all our all our pc games anyway yeah exactly but like the road that they are going down like don't forget this is what valve did valve had a couple of very popular games they made a store and then enticed other people like, this is exactly what Epic's doing. There is nothing to say that Epic can't do this, right? Epic have the biggest video game in the world right now. And they're just, continu- well, actually second, Minecraft has come back with a vengeance, but that's a, <laughs> that's a story for another time. Uh, but, you know, so it's like they, they're just using their, their resources and their money right now to entice other people in. So I want to come back to talking about some of this, but I want to talk about Ninja. In a surprising turn of events, uh, the game streamer Ninja, who's most known for Fortnite, has announced an exclusive deal with Mixer. And you may be thinking, 
What's Mixer? Well, <laughs> not everybody knows about Mixer. Uh, Mixer is Microsoft's streaming, like video game streaming platform. And, and when I mean streaming, I mean like video, like Twitch, right? So uh, Ninja has been known to be one of the most popular Twitch streamers for the last few years. And he has now left Twitch completely and is exclusively streaming on Microsoft's Mixer platform. Um, Mixer has been the underdog for a while and they were seeing growth, but they're, they were an afterthought. No one's using Mixer except for the specific reasons you would use it. Like there were p- particular perks and benefits, you know, like, but if you wanted to get in front of people, you would go to, uh, you would go to Twitch, maybe YouTube, right? If that was what, what you wanted to do with game streaming, you pick one of those two. And then you've got Twitch and YouTube, like who's thinking about Mixer? But this is a way smart way for them to bring lots of viewers and lots of attention in theory, right? So it seems to have worked out so far. So Ninja's first stream attracted more viewers than his typical Twitch average and what that's been recently. It was up to 76,000 concurrent viewers, which is double the recent numbers he's been getting in Twitch. Like he was doing hundreds of thousands at one point and he's just like calm. You know, it's like slowed down for him after a while because that's just the way that things go, right? Like he had his surge in popularity and it's kind of like petered out, but it's still very incredibly successful individual. Um, He's also hit a million subscribers to his Mixer channel in five days. Now there are some caveats to this though. So Microsoft is giving people two free months of subscriptions to his channel, which costs $5.99 a month otherwise. So I don't know what's going to happen after that period of time. Irrespective of all of this, right? This is a massive thing for Microsoft with Mixer because they brought relevance to their platform. But this is a huge risk for Ninja. Massive. Now, I'm sure he made a lot of money on this deal, provided that it was structured right for him. Because, like, my thinking is like, what if there are performance metrics in those numbers for that money, mm. right? Which I would 100% expect that there is, right? That, like, mm. I'm sure he'll get some of it, but I bet for the rest of it, he needs to get good numbers, right? Microsoft's going to want good numbers. But more than anything else, he is gambling his career big time on this. Yeah, I I, I think this whole area is so volatile at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's two very large cloud companies, Amazon and Microsoft, who've declared their interest and their revenue for years in cloud. And so what Microsoft doesn't have is voices in this growing area for them. Amazon, of course, get it by default. You know, they, you, you buy Twitch and of course that's what you're going to get. And then they, they try and integrate these acquisitions into what is a larger cloud play. And games is just a part of that for Microsoft again. You know, they have Azure, uh, they have xCloud that they're talking about and this, this mixer is, of course, another niche play in a much, much larger strategic area. Mm-hmm. And this um, acquisition, if you like, this um, acquire almost of, of Ninja seems to me very much like when Apple launched Apple Music in a big way, and they got a whole bunch of DJs to exclusively do shows for them for a while. Because why would you do that and not stick to, say, Spotify? or your existing channels. Spotify, of course, still the biggest player. 
Apple Music is is no shrinking violet anymore. Apple Music is is very big. Um, I have no idea how big it is, but but I'm sure that without those big early plays and those statements of intent and the library matching, you know, matching the size of everybody else's library, which and I'd say they're all fairly equivalent now. Would you agree with that? Like Amazon Music Unlimited. There's no, there's no, absolutely no competition in catalog anymore. Yeah. So that, that's gone. So they had to differentiate in another way, right? How are you going to call people over? Well, the convenience helps greatly. And my guess is Microsoft having operating system access with Windows 10 makes that convenience factor a lot easier because Amazon don't really have the OS space. They're much more background than Microsoft in that respect. But yeah, so, so Apple had the, the device space as well as the OS space. Uh, as well as the seamless integration of Apple Music. But they still needed something, you know. So Microsoft, I think, have one less advantage because they don't have the device um, access so much as Apple do. And they need players. They need, for their strategy in cloud to work, they're going to need people to switch. This is why they had the announcement at E3 for Xbox Game Pass for Windows. I mean, it's a clumsy long name but the fact is they're serious about cloud they're serious about games you've heard their their president talk about the importance of games yep and and streaming and this kind of content is a massively important part of the gaming culture now so i don't think this is going to be the last aqua aqua hire if you like um or exclusivity deal that they get People need faces for their services. And this is I think this is going to be the first of many. All right. I want to go back to talking about kind of the game publishing side and exclusivity there and what it can mean for a developer. Um, but before we do, let me thank our sponsor, Squarespace, for the support of this show. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. Squarespace have all of the tools that you're going to need to put your next project online. You can make your next move with them, right? You can create a blog, a portfolio, a store, maybe you want to create a site for an event or a social club. No matter what it is, they have all of the tools. They're on only one platform. There's nothing to install or patch or upgrade. Squarespace have it covered and they back it up with 24-7 customer support. You can quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, take advantage of, and customize beautiful templates that are there to help you show off your great ideas, your great work. I've been using Squarespace for years because it's just so simple for me to get started and to get my thoughts out onto the internet. Go try it today. Go to squarespace.com slash remaster and you can sign up for a trial. There's no credit card needed to do it. And their plans start at just $12 a month. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code remaster. You'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash remaster and the code remaster for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So, I have a question. So, like, I was looking at this, um, the, 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 the post from Ublitz, right? And it's like, all right, I'm very happy that they're going to get the kind of the amount of sales that they were looking for guaranteed to them, right? Like, that's awesome. But sales guarantees are not players. And money is good, but you need an audience of people, Right. Can it be risky with stuff like this? Because 
I mean, they are limiting themselves a little bit with exclusivity, right? Like it, it, it will naturally limit you in some ways. Some people won't want to sign up or, or whatever or, won't want, or don't have the console. Like if we take it even further, like people that go exclusive on consoles, which is, as we said, maybe a little bit, a little bit trickier to get around. But these deals where you get uh, like minimums and stuff like that guaranteed to you, whilst the money is good, do you not take a, a risk of exclusivity around like your next game? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the main thing is, people who are in video games, people who are making video games, for the most part, want to do this for as long as they can. And anything that helps them to achieve sustainability, and by sustainability, I mean the ability to make another video game after you've made the current one, or in some cases, just to make the first one. Anything that helps them achieve that sustainability is going to be a good thing. So the question is, does an exclusivity deal get them sustainability? No, not necessarily. Does it give them a chance of sustainability? Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. So the trade-off is against their reputation and their current financial setup. If they're already stable, like for example, if they have another thing that they do to to make money and they're making this game on the side like for example students right students don't have massive outgoings apart from <laughs> apart from the student debt uh, which they will have to pay back at some point but their their living costs are quite low and let's say they're making a game on the side and it turns out to be awesome well they have a lot of leverage right they don't know yet if video games is something that they want to do for the rest of their lives or for the foreseeable future right? But what that does, it puts them into a, a position of extreme leverage. So if people come sniffing around, all right, they're not experienced necessarily, but they can think carefully about whether they want to take money to do this or not. If the sum is large enough, they might just do that and they might then go on to set up a, a development studio and work on games for a while. Others won't. But let's say you've been around for a while and you've been making games for years and it's been hard going. Let's say you're in the work for hire trap, you know, making, doing work for other people, but not making games that you own. You know, you don't own the IP for these things. Maybe you're just supporting somebody else and you have this dream of making an original game. And someone sees what you're doing, a platform, and comes along and says, look, we like what you're doing and you can carry on making this, you can release it, providing you give us some exclusivity and you're not particularly financially stable, it's going to be almost impossible to resist that temptation. Why, why would you turn that down at that point? Because the alternative is what? That you're going to struggle on and perhaps maybe do some more work for higher stuff and stay stuck in that cycle until you do something else. Because what we don't talk about a lot are the casualties in video game development. So there are a lot of people who just stop developing especially in the independent space, because it was simply unsustainable. And that's a tragedy. We lose a lot of talent that way. And the market is not entirely efficient. The market is still broken down into platforms who have strategic objectives, publishers. When I talk about the market, I'm talking about the, the market for developers to sell their product into someone who's able to support the development. So I'm not talking about customers here. Yeah, I'm not talking about players. Mm -hmm. 
So you have platforms who have strategic objectives. They want their platform to be the dominant one, or they want to try and um, help build an ecosystem that supports more sales of their devices. Uh, VR is a case in point. You have publishers who whose goal is to reach as many devices, as many platforms as possible, because that's how you make your money back, because it's a very, very risky business. And then you have really large developers who are funding other people, or successful developers are funding other people. You've got stuff like the Indie Fund, which is a case in point. Then you have a few regional um, grants that are available in some places, or government initiatives. Canada is very, very good for that. There are some parts of the UK, like Northern Ireland, who have the Northern Ireland Screen Fund, who will give a tiny bit of, bit of money. And the problem is, with these different funding mechanisms, and of course we've got VC as well, but the VC is the same for everyone, not just video games. The problem with, with this is that there are only so many people working at these companies in commissioning roles. They only have so much time and attention. They will not be able to see all the cool stuff there is and so their decisions are going to be largely um, filtered by their networks. And that means a lot of developers, especially those who could be potentially very talented, are never going to get discovered, never going to get picked up, never going to get funded. Sometimes even well-known ones are not going to get discovered, they're not going to get picked up. I know that sounds crazy, right? But it can happen. You can have a developer that makes a really, really good demo, and they're well-known, well-respected, they show it to a few people and they just hit them at the wrong time of day, you know, or they hit them in the wrong part of the cycle and they don't get, they, they don't get what they wanted. So you look at all of these um, constrained resources available to developers and then you have a platform that wants to push a particular service or device. What happens is that platform becomes very open, very accessible. We've seen several people do it. And, Epic are one of those people right now. They're very open. They're very accessible. They want to see the good stuff and sign it up. And, and it's pretty low risk for Epic because they're, they're sitting on a mountain of cash and good people are going to them. But it's slightly higher risk as we have seen for developers. And there's nothing you can do about that mismatch simply because one entity has an enormous amount of cash and the other entity does not the developer does not, and they want what the larger entity has, which is not just the cash that will help them to develop the game, but the potential that that game will then, because of the leverage that large platform has, of reaching a lot more customers and therefore giving them giving the developer what they really want, which is sustainability, which mm. is the ability to make more games after the one they've made. So I was wondering, right, and I think this maybe counts for more, I think, in the console world, how beneficial is exclusivity realistically to a console vendor? Well, it depends against whom the exclusivity is applied. So, I mean, I, I will talk about the examples that I'm personally familiar with, which are uh, my own um, at PlayStation a while ago. So things have changed massively. But in the situation where there was the Vita, for example, exclusivity was not something that we asked for very often, not until very, very late. There was no other system that could play a game like that, by and large. Well, the right? closest was iOS, right? 
Okay. The clo- closest was iOS. But you're right. In in essence, there were no other competing systems that could play the kind of games that you would be able to play on on a Vita. So there, comp- um, having some kind of exclusivity was not so much the issue. The The approach I took there was getting games that had already been made for Steam and bringing those over and getting people to help bring those games over. So there was almost no risk for the developer. It was all upside. Mm-hmm. Any potential sales would benefit the developer. They didn't have to worry about exclusivity. They didn't have to worry about annoying other platforms. That was easy. But then you come to the PS4. Well, PS4 versus Xbox One was perceived as a big battle, right? I mean, we we didn't actually see it that way. Before launch of PS4, it was about survival. Yeah, PS4 was going to be make or break. Mm Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, it it was make in the biggest possible way. But asking for exclusivity there, our approach at strategic content, you've got to bear in mind, there are loads of teams at PlayStation doing commissioning jobs. Um, the strategic content team was just one of them. So our approach was, well, the only exclusivity we care about is exclusivity over Xbox One. And you know what? We don't even want very long. It depends on the game, depends on the risk, depends how much money we were prepared to put in. Mm-hmm. So if we were putting in a ton of money, we would ask for a year because that would allow us to maximize the sales curve. There were going to be updates. They were going to be relevant. They were going to drive further sales of the, of the core product. So for those games where we spent a lot of money, we'd ask for that much. But for some, we didn't even ask for exclusivity. Because the interesting thing there was, we knew that Xbox had their parity clause. What is that? Well, they insisted on stuff being released on Xbox first. And if not, then it needed to show some kind of differentiation. Well, that was suicidal. Oh, so they went in the opposite then. It was either exclusivity or first, or we're not interested in you unless you're huge. Yeah, pretty much. That's stupid. Well, perhaps not. And the reason for this is, you've got to remember, the previous generation was was perceived by many to have been won by Xbox 360. Oh, right. Yeah? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. So no, nobody knew before the announcements of Xbox One and PS4 that PS4 yeah, w- yeah. would reverse that scenario practically overnight. Mm-hmm. No one really knew that. So Mm. people in dominant positions can ask for what they want and they often get it. But the interesting thing that had been happening was that throughout PlayStation, I'm not just talking about strategic content, the whole of PlayStation, every region, every country, every person involved in software acquisition, some of those people, by the way, uh, are now at Epic. Um, Really, really excellent individuals. Mm. I won't embarrass them and name them, but all of these people were hungry and fair and open and listening. Why? Because it's like that old um, Avis advert. They were number two. I thought, was it Avis or was it Hertz who were number two? One of, one of the two was number two. <laughs> well, I can't remember which one it was, but they, I think it was Avis that said, we try harder because um, I think we just, yeah, they're number two. They said, we're number two, we try harder. Right, So that was the kind of mentality that we had. We're just going to go the extra mile. We're going to get all these developers on board. We're going to give them whatever they need to get stuff on. 
And when we put in a fair amount of money, we are going to ask for some exclusivity. But in, in many cases, we were not asking for exclusivity and didn't need to. And uh, a case in point was the discussion I had with Rami on Skype about five to ten one evening, where he just sent me a one-word email to say yes to giving us a, a small window of exclusivity. I think in the end we just asked for one month for Wasteland Kings, which went on to become Nuclear Throne. And the reason was of, because of the um, Xbox parity rule. Otherwise, he would have had to have committed to them. It's the only way he would be able to get what he needed onto Xbox. And when I said to him, you know, you don't have to give us exclusivity, he gave it anyway. Because um, then by my... getting that small amount, you kind of, you knew that Microsoft wouldn't touch it. Right. It's clever. Right. So we, sometimes you would ask for as little as a month. Sometimes it would be a little bit more. And we, we didn't always give developers money, by the way. After a while, we built up so much momentum that developers would just want to do stuff for PS4 because there was that exposure. Yeah, yeah. But most of the time, we did for the exclusivity, and it was worth it. Was it worth it for them? Well, kind of, because at that time, Xbox was not very accommodating, now they're amazing, by the way. You know, they're really, really accommodating. There are some great people there. And I, I think I've named them before. So I, again, I won't embarrass the people by naming them directly. But Xbox has got some great people. They're doing some great work with developers right now. And I, I applaud their efforts. Um, but at that time, they were kind of hamstrung. And they had this parity clause that they didn't, you know, the people who were working with developers or trying to work with developers didn't like it and knew that it was harming them because they were very quickly being seen as the bad guy. And mm. this is all down to the announcement, the way they handled the announcement of the device. It was not seen as a very good announcement. It was seen as slightly gamer hostile, you know, very TV focused and all of that, you remember? So yep. that that made an enormous difference to developers' perception of who was open and friendly and who was not and where where they were going to place their bets. Because you've you got to remember, they, these people have limited time. They could probably only commit to one platform at a time. It's hard enough to get a game out on one console because of all of the rules that you've got to follow and the certification processes you've got to go through to ensure that the product is absolutely fine on, on that device, right? So it's hard enough doing one, but doing both at the same time? Ah. Uh, it was just impossible. So they, they chose the one that was more friendly, more accommodating. And yes, the one that gave them some money to lessen the lost opportunity of releasing on the competitive platform. And that momentum just helped to build and build and build. And, and after a while, there was a significant gap that had opened up between the two. Um, are, are there any other situations where... Like, like for example, we didn't ask for exclusivity of a PC with PS4, because that was the thing. You could do a PC game that would work really well on PS4, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But we weren't asking for exclusivity over PC. It doesn't matter. Just as, no, it doesn't, because that was not our fight. And I suspect Epic have done a similar thing. Like, the exclusivity they care about is device exclusivity. They want to be the ones you go to when you buy a game on your PC. And PlayStation wants to be the place where players went if they wanted to buy a console game and the the other devices just didn't matter 
The only other thing that we started at PlayStation to ask for was that a game had not been released on iOS first. In the beginning, we didn't care, right? For the beginning of Vita, we didn't care. We wanted stuff that was really, really great on iOS, enhanced for Vita. But later on, we started saying, you know what? You're going to hurt your chances if you release this on iOS first. And this is now the case for many games where people will naturally release them on PC and or console and or Switch before an iOS version comes out. And you know what? The iOS sales are not affected negatively that way. In fact, the success on pre-existing platforms, um, you know, PC, whatever your storefront, console, Switch, doesn't, doesn't actually negatively impact the iOS sales. In fact, it helps to promote the game on iOS because the marketing is almost like, you remember this amazing game that was on PC? Well, you can play it on your iOS device now. How cool is it that such a great game is also playable on your handheld? Yeah. And, and it's not really an issue. In fact, you can then charge premium prices and that approach has worked really well. And Apple don't care, you know, <laughs> just, just give us content. There's no, no worry about uh, approval there. Uh, the area where I think it's going to be interesting is what Apple Arcade asked for. Will Apple Arcade insist on some kind of exclusivity? Yeah, they are. Right. So yeah. th- that, that I think is totally fair. Why, why would they not get exclusivity compared to um, Android? Their, their exclusivity is it's twofold, but it's not complete, which is kind of nice. It's uh, mobile. And yeah. streaming so and like a subscription service, yeah. So you can't Makes you can't do either. Sense. Yeah, it's like both of those. Like, all right, like that's fine. That's probably less than I would have expected they would have asked for. So, yeah. In another area where I think exclusivity isn't always necessary is when you're working with developers who are only going to do one version at a time, and you're doing VR stroke AR because you're helping to grow a sector. Mm. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I get that. I think really the biggest thing to take away from this, honestly, is like exclusivity is going to happen. It happens for pretty much good reasons for the video game being made. And frankly, it's never going to last that long. Like, just wait. 